This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so now it's 1913, and the National Park Service has finally banned the Yosemite Firefall, but it was reinstated again in yeah. 1970. So they're like, no more of this. This is right. crazy time. We're no more throwing burning logs off the cliff. But it was pretty cool. So let's, oh, yeah. okay, we can do it again. That's right. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're taking you to California, to one of the oldest and most popular national parks in the country, Yosemite. Home to soaring granite domes, some of the world's biggest and oldest trees, as well as its famous waterfalls, Yosemite offers world-class natural wonders and recreation opportunities. On today's episode, we'll give you an overview of the different areas of the park, some of our favorite hikes, as well as lodging options throughout the park. And we'll kick things off with details about an amazing spectacle that occurs mid to late February every year, if the conditions are right. All this and more coming up next. As we mentioned in a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago, we just celebrated our two-year podcast anniversary. Yay! <laughs> Should we insert the, the party sound effects again? No, the party is over. <laughs> Most definitely. And um, it's been such an interesting two years because when we started at the end of January in 2020, COVID was just starting to rear its head. It was just a baby. It was a baby about to grow into a monster. Yeah, it's a big hairy monster that won't go away. <laughs> I know. We had decided early on at the very beginning that we weren't going to talk about COVID ever. Ever, 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 ever in our podcast episodes because... I think like most people, at the beginning of COVID, we thought it would be over within a few weeks. Yeah, two weeks max, then it's over, and we wouldn't even remember the word COVID. And two years later, we are now talking about it on our podcast episodes, yes. which is great. Yes. Anyway, it's a fact of life. It'll go away someday, but it is affecting 
some travel plans and it affects things in the park and schedules and services. So it's we have to talk about it. We do. The point of us bringing this up is just COVID has kind of turned everything upside down and everything is different in all the parks. So just make sure when you're planning your parks trip to look at the park website and see Do you need a reservation? Are the shuttles running? Are the ranger-led tours running? And COVID could go away tomorrow, but there's always forest fires and floods and weather-related things, right? And so uh, it's, it's dynamic. These are large areas of natural landscapes, which are subject to all sorts of things changing, and, and the Park Service has to adjust to those. So check the website, and uh, if you're listening to this podcast, Whatever, six months later, two years later, it's good general information, but you have to check what's going on right now in the park that you're planning on visiting. Exactly. When I was doing the research for Yosemite, I noticed that there are a lot of things currently affected by COVID that are different. And we might mention a few of those. We don't want to dwell on COVID and what's happening because quite frankly, people are sick of it. <laughs> They're COVID weary. I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to listen to an hour of people talk about COVID stuff, and I'm sure no one else does either. So we'll try to, um, we will still try to not talk about it as much as we cannot talk about it. So this episode is about Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily two perfect days or three perfect days. We're going to do an overview of the park because it's, it's such a big dynamic park. I mean, there's so many different areas to visit. Kind of hard to see it all in one trip. So we're going to talk about all the different areas, give you enough information where you can plan a trip, or if you have the time, plan a trip to go see it all. Yes, exactly. And what is happening right now, right this very minute, possibly today in February 2022, what's happening in in, um, Yosemite, Matt? Well, right now is... A special thing that happens once a year in Yosemite called the Firefall. And this is this is a section of El Capitan where the sun hits it just right for a couple of weeks a year. And there is a, there's a small fall, horsetail fall, that really only runs kind of in the winter time, maybe a little bit into the spring. It's it's not a big fall, but it's running in the winter. And the combination of horsetail fall running and the sun hitting El Capitan just right, it creates this lava light. It kind of looks like lava flowing over the cliff edge for what, maybe 10 minutes or so? If the conditions are right. If the conditions are right. Of course, you could have a a cloudy evening Mm -hmm. and, you know, the sun's not going to shine or... I don't know, you could have mist or fog or something, but it's so it's not a guarantee. Right. But I guess if you're there and you see it, it's spectacular. And of course, photographers <sighs> love to go there and try to capture that image. Yeah, we've seen photos of it. We haven't actually been there during Firefall, but the photos are pretty spectacular. I would love to go. Uh, Now, the dates this year that they're predicting this will happen are February 10th through February 28th. It changes uh, every year just by a few days. So that's what they're predicting for this year. So we'll see if if the conditions are right and Firefall shows up. We have to mention that this is different from the human-created Firefall that is actually pretty pretty famous in Yosemite. It it doesn't happen anymore, but we'll, we'll talk about the details of it. That's a whole 
different thing where they actually created a scenario that it looked like fire flowing over the mountain. But it's the firefall that we're talking about now that happens in February. That's natural. And it happens once a year. Yes. And in the past, the park has required reservations to get into the park to see the firefall. Now, this year, there are no reservations required. However, they do have some restrictions in place as far as where you can stand, where you can park. And the Horsetail Fall viewing area where you can see this is about a one and a half mile walk each way from the closest parking area. So just know if you want to go and see this, you'll have to walk three miles. And I am sure the rangers are out in force because people, sometimes people will do just about anything to get the photograph that they want, including standing in places like the middle of the river where they shouldn't be. And I guess in 2019, over 2,000 visitors showed up and, you know, there was trash left behind. I, I don't think they had as many porta potties as they do now. And people were going to the bathroom everywhere. And like you said, I saw a photo of photographers standing in the Merced River with their tripods, and that's a huge no-no. Right, it creates erosion in the in the river itself. It it uh, damages the vegetation. Anyway, I'm sure the rangers are on top of it. I'm sure it's a spectacular sight, but it could get crowded. So, Matt, I thought today for History Channel, instead of the usual park history, I would talk about what you just mentioned—the Glacier Point Firefall. You know, there's a actual History Channel podcast. Are, are we going to get letters? Are our attorneys going to get letters from them soon saying that Karen has to stop? And they're going to name you. They're not going to name me. Our attorneys? Our attorneys. Both of them. <laughs> our attorneys used to be our cats, but the, but the, they got eaten by coyotes. And uh-huh. now I guess, I don't know, we'll have yeah. to get attorneys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think we're on the radar for the History Channel, Matt. I'm not really worried. I think our seven, right seven listeners are, are a threat to the History Channel podcasts. They have, they have more than one podcast out there. I know. They have several. Maybe this is – you're trying to audition for it, aren't you? You're going to leave me behind. You want, you want a job with the History Channel, and it'll be Matt who. That, oh. That's the name of my new podcast, Matt who. <laughs> There'll be no inappropriate <laughs> laughing. Yeah, you know what? You could take over the Simple Folk podcast. Yes, yeah, Simple Simple Man. <laughs> All right. No, I don't stop. need any. No, I don't. I don't need suggestions from you. Okay, I, I, good. I, it's my own podcast. Okay. Good luck with that History Channel thing. Thank you. But let's talk about the Glacier Point Firefall, which is a pretty amazing spectacle that started 150 years ago. So it started. In 1872 by James McCauley, who was the owner of the Glacier Point Mountain House Hotel up on Glacier Point. And every night in the summer, he would build a campfire at the edge of Glacier Point to entertain his guests. Then he would put out the fire by kicking the embers over the edge of the cliff. Yeah, why would you, what would make you do that the very first time? It's just like, "Ah, we're just going to like knock the fire over the cliff. I know. And here's that's not a good idea. These glowing embers tumbled thousands of feet 
thousands? the air down to the valley floor. Yeah, thousands. Glacier Point's 3,200 feet above. Wow. How did that not start forest fires? I have no idea. But anyway, so these falling embers were spotted by all the visitors below in Yosemite Valley. And pretty soon, people began requesting to see the fire fall. So seeing a business opportunity, Macaulay's sons began asking visitors in Yosemite Valley for donations. Then they would haul extra wood up to Glacier Point to build bigger campfires, resulting in more dramatic Yosemite firefalls. So the deal is, hey, pay me a few bucks and I'll throw bigger burning logs off the cliff. Exactly. Can you even imagine that? Yeah, back when America was great. (laughs) (laughs) But not surprisingly, in 1897, Macaulay was evicted from Glacier Point. Oh, he got kicked out. Mm -hmm. And after after 25 years of doing that, the nightly Yosemite firefall came to an abrupt halt. So for 25 years. So they let him do it for 25 25 years. years. But it's not over yet. Okay. So several years later, Yosemite Valley Hotel owner David Curry, that's of Curry Village, heard his guests reminiscing about the firefall, and he took it upon himself to reinstate the spectacle for special occasions. Okay, so now it's 1913, and the National Park Service has finally banned the Yosemite firefall, but it was reinstated again in yeah. 1917. So they're like, no more of this. This is right. crazy time. We're no more throwing burning logs off the cliff. But it was pretty cool. So let's, oh, yeah. okay, we can do it again. That's right. But during World War II, the Yosemite Firefall was temporarily discontinued, and some people in the National Park Service hoped that it would never return because by that time, the attitudes toward the environment had shifted, and the unnatural spectacle of the Firefall inside a national park was considered inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> Go figure. However, after the war, the public outcry for the Firefall's return was so great that the Park Service relented. Let's start it up again. (laughs) And the Firefall was reinstated. Finally, the NPS grew a pair. And in 1968, George Herzog, who was the director of the NPS, decided to end the Firefall once and for all. He stated that it was an unnatural spectacle more appropriate for Disneyland than a national park. So do they do this at Disneyland now? <laughs> they should. Yeah. <laughs> so despite howls of protest from the public, the NPS stood firm in its decision to permanently end the Yosemite Firefall, and they had a final ceremony on January 25th in 1968. Howls of protest? Howls. Howls. People were very upset about that. Okay. Yeah. Here's a fun fact. In 1960, when President JFK was visiting Yosemite Valley, the Yosemite firefall was delayed for 30 minutes because Kennedy was having dinner. I'm sure at the Iwani. Yeah. (laughs) This was the only time the Yosemite firefall did not start at 9 o'clock sharp. That must have been a spectacle, though. I don't know. I, I don't think that they should start it up, but I, I would imagine that was a pretty amazing sight to see. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. And I did want to note, because I had mentioned Macaulay's Mountain House, that was a lodging area that was up on Glacier Point, and there was also the Glacier Point Hotel, which was one of the National Park's historic lodges. But unfortunately, they both burned down in 1969, right after they stopped the firefall. So they stopped throwing glowing embers around and then the hotel burns down? 
Yeah, well, it started as an electrical fire on the lower floor of the Glacier Point Hotel, which had been closed for repairs. And then the pile of red fir bark left from the firefall next to the hotel added fuel to the fire. And unfortunately, the fire response was more than 30 miles away by the mountain road. And so the fire completely destroyed the hotel and the mountain house and many trees. So now there is no more lodging up on Glacier Point. So now if you want to see the firefall, you'll have to go in February and watch the natural one occurring on Horsetail Fall. Now, there's some Yosemite Park news that I wanted to mention before we go into our overview. Since we're speaking of Glacier Point, it will be closed to cars for the entire year of 2022. The entire year? You can't go up to Glacier Point? No, unless you hike up there. There are some trails that go straight up from oh, that's the right. valley, yeah, yeah, that's right. but those trails are extremely steep. And then trailhead access, once you're up on Glacier Point, will be restricted. So if you plan to make that hike up, you want to make sure that once you you get up there, the thing that you want to see can be accessed because what they're doing is they are completely overhauling the road up there. The existing roadway was completed in 1936. Wow. So it needs some work. I remember that being uh, kind of a long winding road with slow drivers. <laughs> a lot of slow drivers. But yeah, they are basically pulverizing and paving the entire road and some parking lots. One more thing I wanted to add to that is then the following year in 2023, they'll still be finishing it, they say. So there will be 30-minute delays if you're driving up there. They already know that a year from now, a year and a half from now, there will be 30-minute delays. They already know that. Not 35, not 25, 30-minute delays. They are good. In 2023. Yeah. Great. What other good news do you have for us? That's it. But I did want to mention visitation in the park. Okay, let's talk about visitation numbers. There's a lot lot of people going to the park. The park is open all year, but 75% of visitors come to Yosemite May through October. And interestingly enough, most of them never leave the six square miles that is Yosemite Valley. Well, that's too bad because there's other great parts of the park. I know. I looked it up in 2019 They had 4.4 million visitors. And then interestingly enough, in 2020, it dropped to 2.2 million visitors. And do you know why that is? Yes, because they put in a reservation system. Mm -hmm. I think we we tried to go there one time. We we keep trying to go and it's just something (laughs) always gets in the way. That's right. They started a day-use reservation system during their busy season. Now, they have not announced yet whether or not they're going to be doing that in 2022. As of right now, there is no news about a day-use reservation. But again, if you're planning to go, keep checking because in a week, and a month, they could say that you need a day-use reservation. And they'll probably be announcing that fairly soon. Right? You would think because so. Because people are planning their vacations. Right. And, and even spring break trips. So, And maybe maybe no news means they're not going to do it. Could be. All right. Yeah. So those are some updates. Yeah. So Yosemite, I thought it was interesting how this area got its name. Yeah. The name Yosemite comes from the Indian word Yuzumite, which meant grizzly bear. The Indian tribe that lived in the valley were called Yosemites by Caucasians because they lived in a place where grizzly bears were common, and they were reportedly skilled at killing the bears. Now, the Indians didn't call themselves Yosemites. They called themselves Awananichis, and they called the valley Awani, or place of a gaping mouth. So now we actually know where the name for the Awani Hotel came from, too. 
And we know what happened to all the grizzly bears. Well, yeah, you looked it up, didn't you? Yeah, I was curious about where they all went. It turns out the last known grizzly bear was shot outside the Yosemite region, gosh, back in the early 1920s. And now the, the species, the grizzly bear species, no longer exists in California, despite its presence on the California state flag. However, there are a lot of black bears in the park. Yeah, I read somewhere between 300 and 500 black bears. Yosemite's been a park for a long time, since 1890. It was our nation's third national park. But what's even more interesting is that Yosemite sparked the idea of national parks because 26 years before it became a national park, President Lincoln, we're all the way back to Abraham Lincoln. The the President Lincoln? (laughs) Yes. He signed the Yosemite Land Grant in 1864, which protected the Mariposa Grove and Yosemite Valley. This was the first time the government ever protected land because of its natural beauty so that people could enjoy it. And we're still benefiting from this foresight today. Yeah, there was a time there where people were starting to discover all these incredible natural places, uh, particularly in the West, and kind of had to protect them pretty quick before they cut all the trees down or destroyed the area. So it's good that uh, that time in history, a, a lot of these areas began being protected. I know. Who knows what would have happened if they hadn't. In addition to those two areas that were originally protected, the park boundaries have grown to include other areas. So we thought we would split it up into the five sections that we're going to just give an overview of today. And those are Hetch Hetchy, Tuolumne Meadows, the Valley, Glacier Point, and Wawona in the south. Okay, well, let's start with Hetch Hetchy because that's an interesting story. We don't really have time for another History Channel segment. Unfortunately. It, it, unfortunately, but that's that's an interesting area. I, I guess Hetch Hetchy back in the day was an incredible valley, and John Muir described it as a grand landscape garden, one of nature's rarest and most precious mountain temples before they built the dam and flooded it. Yeah, in 1913, amid protests by Muir and a lot of other people, Congress authorized the building of the O'Shaughnessy Dam. And 10 years later, in 1923, the dam was completed and it dammed the Tuolumne River, flooding this beautiful valley under the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir. Yeah, now this is an area of the park that's not heavily visited by folks. I mean, a lot of it's a reservoir, but you can't recreate in the reservoir because this this is a source of drinking water for the city of San Francisco. Less than a 1% of Yosemite's visitors every year go up there. That's, yeah. that's not very many. No. This area has a longer hiking season because it sits at a lower elevation. 3,900 feet than some of the other areas of the park. So if you like to hike, there are some hiking trails up there you could do. We would recommend there is a very pretty hike up there called Wapama Falls. It's about five miles round trip along the reservoir to a beautiful waterfall. And it has uh, in- incredible uh, waterfalls in the springtime, great wildflowers. So it's it's a great area, but you know a big part of it is the reservoir. You know, they've talked over the years about taking the dam down. That just keeps going back and forth. Mm. Uh, Hopefully they'll do that someday. Yeah, the Sierra Club and the Restore Hetch Hetchy group have been working tirelessly for years and years. 
it would be a very complicated and expensive undertaking. Yeah, might not happen anytime soon. There has been talk of when the dam fails, when it gets so old that it fails, then at that point, something might happen. Now, I don't know when that is. I don't know how long a dam lasts. So the dam is what, uh, 100 years old? Yeah, it's probably got many years left in it. It would be incredible if it happened in our lifetime. Well, they better get on it then. (laughs) They better hurry. (laughs) Now, if you want to go up there and see this area, it's about an hour and 15 minute drive from Yosemite Valley. Yeah, Yosemite National Park can get crowded. And so if you're looking for an area of the park that has fewer people, this is one of them. You can also stay up there. There's lodging up there. There's the Evergreen Lodge. We, we stayed there. It was originally built for lodging for the dam workers who were working on the dam. Now it's a kind of a like a summer camp feel resort, if you will. Yeah, I loved it up there. It does feel like summer camp. Lots of trees. They have, a, I think, 75 cabins. We stayed in a cabin. And I remember they have a tavern that we really liked. And, and they have a lodge building with a restaurant. I thought it was great. They have campfires at night. So if you're looking for a place to stay away from the crowds in the valley, this is a great choice. Right. All right, moving on to our next area, Tuolumne Meadows. This might be my favorite area of the park. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. It's uh, north of the Yosemite Valley. It's it's over an hour drive from the valley. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the highest elevation meadows, if you will, in the whole Sierra Nevada range. So, I mean, like the meadows itself are 8,600 feet in elevation. That's right. And the road that goes through this area is called Tioga Road. It's a 47-mile scenic drive that runs between Crane Flat and Tioga Pass. And that goes all the way through the park and exits on the east. Right. So so you can you can come in the east side of the park. And you know this this drive is beautiful because you're going past forests and meadows and lakes and these big granite domes. It's a very scenic drive. Now, this road, because it's at such high elevation and they get a ton of snow up there, it's only open from, it says late May, I think more often than not, it opens in June through October or November. Yeah, just depends on the weather of that particular year. And how fast they can get that road plowed. Uh, There is a visitor center up there, the Tuolumne Meadows Visitor Center, and it's open from late May through late September. And a lot of great hiking up there. Yeah, we did a hike. I I love that hike. It's been a while. Uh, I mean, it's probably been 10 years since we've done it. The Glen Allen, the hike from the Tuolumne Meadows kind of parking lot area trailhead to Glen Allen and back. That's an 11-mile round trip and 800-foot elevation change if you're going to do that round trip hike. Yeah, I didn't think it was very hard. And it was incredibly scenic. Waterfalls, and it was absolutely beautiful. And then it was kind of a surprise to us at the time because this was our first visit when we ended up back there at one of the High Sierra tent camps. Right. We thought we were in the middle of nowhere, like the wilderness, <laughs> and which we were enjoying. And then all of a sudden, there's this camp, these semi permanent canvas tents and they're they're making meals they're cooking and there's beds and stuff we we wanted to just stay yes and we talked to one of the workers and she was telling us how how there are actually five sierra tent camps and you can hike from camp to camp spending a night or two in each one 
while a mule carries all your stuff to each camp. This is the first time I ever heard of a situation where I wouldn't have to schlep my own bags. I know. You've been looking for this. I have. A a, a (laughs) hike where somebody else, besides me, carries your stuff. It goes against the Smith rule of you pack it, you carry it, remember? I know. That's why I love it. You didn't mention the other part about running into the mule train on the last section of the trail. Uh, I don't remember that. You said the mules look tired and sad. (laughs) And I told you that's because they're carrying hundreds of pounds of gear and food and bedding and all that stuff on their backs. So people like you can sleep in the wilderness in comfort while being fed gourmet meals. Oh, right. I forgot about that. And there was that uh, sad little tiny black mule at the very end of the mule train, and he was kind of dragging and having trouble keeping up. He was. He's the one carrying your bag. That was sad. I I forgot about that. Well, maybe if we get a chance to do it, we can just carry our own backpacks. Okay. It's hard to get reservations. And of course, they were, they've been closed some of the time for mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah, we looked at it for 2020 and 2021, but they had been closed. And they said on their website they were going to give first dibs to the people who had their reservations canceled. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while before yeah. we get there. Because it's hard to get anyway. So yeah, beautiful hike up there. Another really popular one is the Lembert Dome Trail. It's much shorter. It's only 3.4 miles round trip, but it also has 800 feet elevation gain. So it's much more strenuous. But when you get up to the top, it's got some stunning panoramic views of Tuolumne Meadows. And there's also a lodge up there, the Tuolumne Meadows Lodge. We haven't stayed there, but that's what, is that also canvas tents? It is, 69 canvas tents. Those are available to rent from mid-June to mid-September if you're lucky enough to get a room. And it's a little bit roughing it. There's no electricity, but there are showers for the guests and there's restrooms there. So In the know. center of the camp, yeah, right? So yeah, so you got, you got some facilities. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because all of these historic park lodges and these backcountry lodges say on their websites, no televisions and no phones. Mm-hmm. Remember how we used to, you know, it used to be a big deal to have a phone in your room. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. obsolete now. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, back in 1968 when they used to push burning logs over the cliff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There is a hiker shuttle that runs along Tioga Road that you can take. It will drop you off at different stops. There's also a hiker's bus that runs from the valley up to Tioga Road. But make sure you check online because a lot of the buses and shuttles have not been running in 2020 or 2021 due to COVID. So you'll have to take a look at that and see when they start up again. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So that's the Tuolumne Meadows area. And one of the great things about this particular park is these areas have a very different feel. That's right. One more thing I wanted to say about Tuolumne Meadows is that it feels a lot less crowded because it's such a big area. You know, you've got the Yosemite Valley, which is small, and you have all these people packed in there. But once you get up to Tuolumne Meadows, a lot fewer people go up there in the first place, but it's so much more spread out. And you might find solitude there and feel like you're really away from the crowds. Okay, let's talk about the valley itself, Yosemite Valley, which, like you said earlier, is where most people go and they don't go anywhere else in the park. And there are times when you go there, it feels like that. <laughs> it, can, it can get crowded. It can. And for good reason, because this valley is stunning and it is something you have to see. I don't care how crowded it is or when you go. I mean, it's better to go in the off season to avoid the crowds, but but you cannot skip the valley. I just remember driving into Yosemite Valley for the first time, and it was September, and we rolled down our windows, and I know my head was stuck out the window because that drive into the valley is incredible. But then you get to the parking lots, and you get to the village, and then it's kind it's of takes on a different... by people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But the granite cliffs of the valley are... Really, like you said, it's something everyone should see. You've got El Capitan, which is a world-class, world-famous rock climbing cliff. There's also then the Half Dome, which is an incredible granite dome that looks like it's kind of cut in half that uh, towers over the valley. Beautiful little river that, that runs through it. So, yeah, spectacular sight. Yes. And you can stay in the valley also. I mean, there is lodging there, so that... that Helps a little bit with the crowds if if you have a room there and then you just park and you know don't have to deal with the traffic. That's right. On our first visit uh, in 2010, we had lodging all over the place because we went for about five days. So we'll talk about a couple of the lodging options in the valley. But when you get there, there is a village area and they have what? They have a little market and a deli and an art studio and visitor center and gift shop. And yeah, there, there's... Uh, uh, there's facilities there. Yes, all kinds of facilities there. Yeah. And then, just a short stroll away, there is the granddaddy of all the historic National Park hotels, the Awani Hotel. The Awani Hotel. It's probably the most spectacular lodge in the National Park system, I think. I mean, there are other incredible lodges in the National Parks. This is a special one, not only because of where it sits, but because of the architecture, the materials they use to build it. It's a great National Park Lodge. And one of the priciest. Oh, yeah. I just looked at the prices for this year, and prices start at about 600 a night, so it is very pricey. But here's the thing. Even if you don't stay there, we would encourage everyone to go and, and see it. In the back area, once you walk past the check-in desks, there there are some public rooms, some great rooms. And we have done the Griswold thing a time or two where we just bring our cooler, <laughs> just find a spot on one of the couches and, mm -hmm. and sit there for four hours. That's right. Yeah. The public is welcome to hang out there. Or you could go to the bar like we typically do have a drink there's some outside tables definitely check out awani because it's absolutely incredible yeah they do have a restaurant there but we've never been allowed past the front door of the, <laughs> the, the entrance of the, the portal of the restaurant they, 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 they see us coming and uh, stop us 
They have a dress code for the dining room, and <laughs> and we are not dress code kind of people. <laughs> we, we don't own those kinds of clothes, right. so <laughs> so we'll just we'll just stand in the hallway and watch people eat. Yeah, we'll have a hot well, dog. We've in done the bar. that before. Yeah, we're used to that. Yeah. <laughs> One other hotel option in the valley is the Yosemite Valley Lodge, another great location, and it is much less expensive than the Iwani. And there is a more primitive lodging option, the housekeeping camp. Yeah, that is uh, perched alongside the Merced River in the middle of the valley. And this is a camp. It's not a tent camp. They have three-sided concrete structures with canvas roofs and privacy curtains. So if you love to camp and you don't want to set up a tent, this might be for you, housekeeping camp. And you do need reservations for that. Yes. And then you also have Curry Village. Curry Village is a huge area. It is definitely a village. <laughs> it's a big area. I remember they have like a great room there. And I think we actually got Wi-Fi in there because we were doing something that we needed uh, a connection to the internet. And we, I remember sitting in there with our laptops and uh, it's indoors, but there was a squirrel uh, inside. Remember? Yes. The squirrel kept going and he would, he would sniff at your toes and come visit all the people in in the great room. I had to go outside to get away from the squirrel because it was creeping me out. He kept sniffing your Yeah, toes. he kept running up to us and uh -huh. on the table and ugh, yeah. yeah. Curry Village has canvas tent cabins, options to be heated or unheated. They have wooden cabins with a bathroom and they also have what's called Stoneman Cottage Rooms with bathroom. Those are like regular motel rooms. So those are your options there. Curry Village has been in the news fairly often in the past for a couple of serious incidents. Back in 2008, there was a major rock fall from Glacier Point. It destroyed some of the tent cabins and three people were injured. Yeah, that was awful. Yep. And then they cleaned up the area and rebuilt the tents. In a different area. Mm -hmm. In a different area. And uh, yeah, so what the, what happened was when they rebuilt the tents, they, they decided to upgrade the walls of the tents. And they used this, this double wall design, which they thought would help keep rodents out and it would be a little bit more comfortable, a little warmer in there, a little bit more insulation. Well, the field mice started building their homes between those walls, they thought that that was a great place mm -hmm. to set up set up camp. And so, unfortunately, there was so many mice in those double walls that they started spreading the hantavirus. This was in the summer of 2012. And unfortunately, Yosemite had 10 confirmed cases of hantavirus infection in people who had recently visited Yosemite and stayed in those tents. Sadly, three of those people died from it. Uh, the others recovered. But what happens is, if you're not familiar with the hantavirus, is that deer mice secrete this virus in their saliva, in their urine and feces. And like you said, they'd been nesting in the void between those walls. So when fresh rodent urine droppings or the nesting materials are stirred up, tiny droplets containing the virus get into the air. The virus is transmitted to people when they breathe in air contaminated with the virus. And in the Yosemite cases, the symptoms didn't show up until well after they left the park. Right, quite a ways after. Interestingly enough, all of the tents that were the single canvas-sided tents did not have this outbreak. It was only the double-sided ones. 
yeah, it was a very unfortunate thing. They figured it out fairly quickly. It did, did take a few months to figure out that, that this issue was happening. Took down the double-sided walls, the, went back to the single-wall canvas tents. Right, and not to scare anyone away from Curry Village, because since 2012, gosh, so that's 10 years ago, I don't think they have had another case. I'm sure it would have gotten out in the news if they had, so clearly they have fixed that issue. Also, they um, have moved the tents away from the rockfall areas as well. Okay, so lots of places to Mm -hmm. stay in the valley, although those they book up quickly, so if you want to Stay there. Try to book as early as you can. Yeah, at least a year out. Now, one more note. If you cannot get lodging inside the valley, we have stayed in the town of El Portal, which is just outside the entrance to the park. And it was really convenient. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it was n- nothing special, but uh, a few motels there. The rooms were fine. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was, it's, it was close to the entrance. A little cheaper or a lot cheaper yeah. uh, than, than staying in the park. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, a couple of hikes in the valley section that we wanted to mention. One of the most popular is the Mist Trail to Vernal Fall and Nevada Fall. You know what I noticed, Matt? What? I was going back through Dear Bob and Sue, our original book, because I wanted to refresh my mind about our hike on on that particular trail. We wrote it as Vernal Falls and Nevada Falls. Oops. Yeah. With all of our proofreading, we didn't catch that, but it's Vernal Fall, Nevada Fall, that they're just single fall. Yeah, I, I know. It seems like it should have an S. And Yosemite Falls, the big one, there is a lower falls and an upper, so I guess that's why it's a plural and that's the others plural. are not. Yeah, but it doesn't affect the hike at all. If you, if you want to hike the Mist Trail to Vernal Fall, now that's about, it's about a three-mile round trip up to Vernal Fall. It's called Mist Trail because when the fall is running, it does get misty. A lot of stair-like areas of that trail. 600 steps on that particular section. And like you said, it, it can be very misty. So it's slippery. And in the spring, a huge amount of waterfall spray is hitting that area. And a lot of the um, hikers up there wear their raincoats. And we have seen people hike that trail in high heels. So and flip-flops. Yeah, probably <laughs> not the best idea. But anyway. It can be a conveyor belt of people hiking oh, yeah. that. Literally, it's a line of people. We even got there really early, and it was still a line of people. So Yeah, a lot of, lot of folks. Yeah, this is not a hike if you want to get away from it all. But you can continue on beyond Vernal Fall to Nevada Fall, and that's another... Gosh, probably another couple miles to Nevada Falls. So that would make it a seven-mile round trip if you did that from the, the trailhead. Yes. And the, th- the thing we would highly recommend on either of these legs or both, you can return back down to the valley on the John Muir Trail if you don't want to descend those stairs, which we would recommend because you've got people coming up and people coming down. It's slippery. It's narrow. So to get away from the crowds, we always take the John Muir Trail down. Now, right up above Vernal Fall, there's a little area where the river is going slower right before it goes over the fall. There's kind of, uh, the river gets wide and it kind of looks a little pond-like, lake-like. It's extremely dangerous. Do not go in the water. People think that that's a great place to swim and have literally gone over the falls and and, and lost their life doing that. So you got to be very careful if you're going up over Vernal Fall. People will take this trail up. The Vernal Fall, and then they then they continue on to Half Dome. 
So right. th- this is the trail mm-hmm. that you would go if you're going to try to do Half Dome. Which is what we're going to talk about next. Half Dome, you need a permit to summit Half Dome. And this is a trail for strong, experienced hikers only because it's 14 miles round trip and it's 4,800 feet of elevation gain. That's a lot of elevation gain. It is. Yeah, in a round trip hike, mm-hmm. no matter how, how long it is. And the really difficult part of this is by the time you get up to the infamous cable section, you've already had a huge hike and people are tired. And so it's the last part of this uh, push to the summit, the 400 feet where the Park Service has installed these cables that you can hang on to because it's incredibly steep. But if you want to hike to that spot right below where the cables start, you don't need a permit to get to there. Right. You need the permit then to start up that final push to the summit. That's right. The National Park Service issues 300 permits a day. I guess they used to literally have thousands of people per day trying this. I was looking up the statistics. There have been at least 13 deaths almost 300 accidents, and 140 search and rescue missions on Half Dome. Yeah, so it just it makes sense for the National Park Service to, to limit those and, and put permits in place because that's not a place that you want to be overcrowded. Definitely not. And one of the most dangerous times to hike this can be in the afternoons. Thunderstorms are fairly frequent up there. And, you know, that last push on the cables, you are on that slick, slick granite. And once it starts raining, it's extremely slippery and people have just slipped and, and fallen to their deaths. And you, you're you exposed to lightning up right. there. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you are lucky enough to get a permit, uh, you, you really want to make sure it's it's a good weather day to do that hike. Yeah. So check online for all the permit info. We won't go into that at this point. Are there less dangerous hikes we can tell people about? Yes. A much easier and safer one is Lower Yosemite Falls, which everyone should see when you're in the valley. It's an easy 1.2 mile loop, about 59 feet of elevation. It's paved. It's easy. It's beautiful. Lower Yosemite Fall. Falls. No, it's plural because there's an upper. There's there's more than one lower? Are, are you correcting me? <laughs> I just want to know how it feels because it brings you so much joy to correct me. I, I was wondering, like, what does it actually feel like? And Maybe you are right. What could you could you say that again? Because <laughs> I know you're going to edit it out of the final version. I would just like all of our listeners to hear it. So, so, so I wasn't dreaming. Yeah, it'll be edited out for sure. You said maybe I'm right or I am right? (laughs) There was a maybe in there. Okay. Now, if you want something more challenging, there is an upper Yosemite fall. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. You can climb to the top of North America's tallest waterfall. This is 7.2 miles round trip and 2,700 feet of elevation gain. That's pretty strenuous. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have some hiking options in the valley. Yes, some incredible hiking options. But again, go early, go early, because these are very crowded. Okay, so that's Yosemite Valley. The next area of the park we'll talk about is Glacier Point. And now Glacier Point, if you're in Yosemite Valley and you look up, up to the cliffs way, way, way up above there... That's Glacier Point. It's about an hour drive from the valley. Again, you're going up about 3,200 feet. On years when the road is open, it's typically open from late spring through early fall. Glacier Point's at the end of the road. So you park and you walk a short way and then 
you're at an overlook with these incredible views. Not only can you see the valley, and I remember when we were up there looking down, we could literally see right down, you could see the roof of the Iwani Hotel. And of course, then you're looking across the valley. It seems like you're about eye level with Half Dome. It is a very spectacular view up there. It is. And I think what would be fun, what a lot of people do is they hike down from Glacier Point down into Yosemite Valley. I think that would be fun if, if you only have to go down and not up. But obviously, you either have to take a shuttle up there or you have to have two cars or, you know, you have to arrange from being dropped off at the top and, and ending up at the bottom. But that would be a fun thing to do. Yeah. And we saw people who were hiking from the valley up to Glacier Point and back down. And we didn't talk about that particular trail because that's pretty strenuous. Yeah. That's a long day. But you, you can do that also. Sure. Now, our favorite hike up there was the Sentinel Dome Taft Point Loop. These are two separate areas. You can park in, in the same parking lot for both. We like to do it as a loop, which was 5.1 miles, about 1,100 feet elevation gain. Or you can shorten that by doing just one or the other. And one note on the Taft Point part of the, the loop, it has these features called fissures, which are literally cracks in the granite cliffs. And, you know, a lot of times when you're hiking, there's, there's you know, cracks in, in the rock. And you go over there, like the bottom of those fissures are like a thousand feet. That is a place where you have to be very careful of these cracks. And, and when I say cracks, I mean, some of them are you know, maybe a couple feet to, you know, I don't know, 20 feet wide. Mm -hmm. uh, keep an eye on the little ones if you're up in that area. Yes, or even the bigger ones, because when we were there in September, there was a school group of, I don't know if they were middle schoolers, but they were big kids. And they were messing around up there, and they were pretending to push each other into the crevices. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I imagine I, that happens often. Yeah, mm. I could not even look. It no. was it was so scary to see this. Plus, when you get to Taft Point itself, uh, there is like a little um, uh, guardrail where you can stand and look down. But but the rest of it around the guardrail is completely sheer drop offs, thirty two hundred feet down to the valley. So definitely, you gotta you know watch your kids. Uh, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, up there uh, by that Taft Point, you know, you got to be careful even taking selfies. People stand at these edge of these cliffs, try to take selfies. Uh, a few years back, rangers found a tripod with a camera pointing towards the edge of the cliff, and they couldn't find the owners. And and what happened was these folks set up their tripod, got to the edge of the cliff to take a selfie, and they went over. So tragic. And, and they died, yes. right? And so got to be careful on the edge of these cliffs. Yep. But Glacier Point is beautiful. And when they reopen it, uh, it's someplace you'll definitely want to add on to your trip to Yosemite. One of the highlights for sure. Okay, the, the last area we wanted to talk about is what we'll call the Wawona area. And this is south. This would be the south part of uh, the park. As you're leaving the valley and driving towards Wawona or Glacier Point, just before the Wawona Tunnel is a viewing area called Tunnel View. One of the most famous viewpoints in the park. No hiking is required. You, you just park at one of the parking lots there and you make your way to the vista. This is a viewpoint that Ansel Adams made famous and you've, you've got to see it. It's just an incredible view of the park from there. From the road, you're looking back into the valley. Mm, east, and, right? E e yeah, yeah east mm -hmm. into the valley. And that that's the view. Right. But if you're coming in from, say, El Portal or down from 
you know, the Evergreen Lodge area, you won't be going through this Wawona tunnel. So you right, the Wawona area is to the south of the valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in that Hex Hexy, the Evergreen Lodge, all that stuff in Tuolumne Meadows. That's to the north of the valley. Right. What most people go to the area to see is the Mariposa Grove of Giant Sequoias, which is the largest sequoia grove in Yosemite, and it's home to over 500 giant sequoias. I know a lot of people think of the sequoias, they think of uh, Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon or the Big Redwoods, the Redwood National Park in Northern California, but Yosemite has some Pretty impressive giant sequoia trees. They do. There are two other um, sequoia areas in the park, much smaller. There's the Merced Grove and the Tuolumne Grove. Those um, have about two dozen sequoias each, and those are in a different area. But the the um, Mariposa Grove is like the <laughs> is the treasure chest of sequoias. Yeah, in the Yosemite National Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the parking area is about two miles from the the grove of trees, and t- in typical years, there's a shuttle bus, but it is not running, I believe, due to COVID. So if you want to access the grove, it's a minimum four mile round trip hike with about five hundred feet of elevation change, and that's just to see the sequoias. If you want to get closer to them it's about a five mile round trip hike yeah so if you're uh willing to hike four or five miles uh you can get there by foot a lot of people snowshoe this in the winter which is in my bucket (laughs) yeah we just haven't been able to find the right combination of us being available and there being snow in that area i know one of these years though we're going to get there yeah So if you're visiting this area, you can certainly just drive down and drive back into the valley, but you could also stay in the beautiful Wawona Hotel. Yeah, that's an old Victorian-style hotel. It was built over 100 years ago, 1876, as a matter of fact. Yeah, almost 150. Maybe I'll be your co-host on the History Channel. Send me your audition tape. Okay, (laughs) I will. (laughs) Anyway, so this hotel is beautiful. As tourism increased uh, through 1916, the hotel built additional rooms and facilities. So you could stay there, or the cute little town of Fish Camp is just right outside the park there. We have stayed in Fish Camp before, and that has some different lodging options also. So there you go. Those are the five areas, Mm -hmm. the five major areas of Yosemite National Park. Karen, how long would you suggest people spend if they're going to Yosemite? You know, I think if you want to see all these five areas that we talked about, you're going to need five days, one day in each area. I think you'd you'd have a great overview. Of course, a lot of people don't have five days. They want to go for a long weekend, and that's great, too. I think just see as much as you can see on on your visit. Yeah, I think you'd want to do it in several trips. And, And like we said already, we know that there are areas of the park, like Glacier Point, that are going to be closed. So... This is, this is a park that probably takes uh, two or three visits to, to really see it all. Yeah, I think the best way to see everything in Yosemite is to make several trips in different seasons because you've got the waterfalls in the spring. You know, when we went in September, it, it wasn't a disappointment, but the waterfalls were barely running. It was a trickle. So if you want to see those famous waterfalls, you need to go in the spring. Right. And then there are other areas of the park, like driving that Tioga Pass. That That's an incredible drive. But that's only open from June until sometime in October. Right. And it's a great place to go in the summer because it's cooler up there because you're at higher elevation. 
And of course, the fall, you've got fewer crowds in Yosemite Valley. And then you could go in the winter and, and go snowshoeing in the Mariposa Grove of giant sequoias. Yeah, this is a big, diverse park. I think you would want to visit it in chunks, different seasons, different areas of the park to get it all in. Yes, and savor it slowly. all of you who tuned in today. If you're new to our podcast and you haven't heard us mention our social media accounts a thousand times already, please follow us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith or on Facebook at Dear Bob and S or both. And hold on to your seats. Next week, we'll be back with an episode about some of our scariest white knuckle drives that we've been on. Oh, that was cute, Matt. Hold on to your seats. Hold on to your seats. I get it. Like like the way I hold on to my car seat on those terrifying roads. Uh-huh. I could have said hold on to your butt. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more appropriate. Yeah. I can't wait for the episode. I'll be on the edge of my seat. Oh, holding on to it. Yeah. <laughs>